God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice, tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? they asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We 
Thank you that you're a God who does speak. We thank you that your word is timeless. It never goes out of date because it speaks to the human heart. It speaks to our lives in very powerful ways. And Father, as we step back uh, really maybe 4,000 years into the life of Abraham, that you might in your kindness uh, speak afresh to our minds and hearts so that we might know who you are and the implications for us as we live our lives. So Father, we thank you. We commend our, our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. When our uh, youngest son was in primary school, he was the one who used to ask all the tricky, age-appropriate theological questions. Okay? So he would ask me questions like this. Dad, if I was lost, would Jesus come and find me? Or this one. Uh, Dad, if I was about to be run over by a bus, would God save me? Or Dad, if a lion was about to eat me, would God rescue me? Those were the questions that David used to ask. There were two things that occurred to me when he asked these questions. One, he thought that his father was completely useless, right? (laughs) Couldn't help him at all, you know. And then the second thing was, he seemed completely dissatisfied when I said to him, God may or may not, you know, find him, stop him being run over by a bus or prevent him from being eaten by a lion. And I'd say, well, maybe, maybe not, you know, and maybe my... Parenting techniques were a bit too Calvinistic, I don't know, but uh, you know, he was in a situation where that didn't seem all that helpful from his uh, perspective. But what can we trust God for? Uh, what can we, uh, with confidence, talk to God about and know that he will give us what we ask? Uh, See, so if you've been in this church for some time, you will know that Uh, When it comes to questions about salvation or forgiveness or heaven or the spiritual blessings we have in Christ, uh, we know that God's word is very clear that when you ask in relation to those things, God has made very specific promises and he will answer. But what about here and now? Uh, What about day by day? What about the... um, the struggles we have in a constant, ongoing way? What about the issues when we're struggling to make our finances you know, meet, where the outgoings meet the incomings? What about when we're struggling with depression or when our children are not responding to us in the way we'd loved them to as, as parents? What about when our marriages, uh, we just find ourselves at tension and growing apart more and more and don't know how to put that sort of thing back together again? What about when we've got real problems at work and it doesn't matter what we do, we can't seem to resolve those sort of things? What about when there's chronic sickness or even life-threatening illness? Can we pray to God about those things and know that he will answer in the way in which we ask? God, will you provide the money I need? Uh, God, will you heal this sickness? God, will you resolve this problem at work? God, will you uh, sort out my relationship with my children? God, will you build my marriage? Can we be confident that God will step in and do something about that sort of stuff, that day-by-day stuff? You would have heard that refrain that came at the end of the chapter we just heard read. It was in Genesis 18, verse 14. Is anything 
too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? But what does that mean? What does that mean for us today with some of the issues that we struggle with? What we read here in this uh, section of God's word and the, uh, the request for a child, uh, the information about Isaac, it's answered by the time you get to chapter 21. And we have an extraordinary miracle, really. A woman whose womb is closed, conceives at 90 years of age. And it's extraordinary on two fronts, really, because despite the impossible odds, humanly speaking, God enables this couple to have a child. But perhaps even more extraordinary is the fact that this is God's answer to a problem that spans the entire history of humanity. It's not just isolated to one couple in one moment in time, but it's an answer that spans all our times and forever. What I'm going to do is look a little more carefully at it. You've got an, a lot, uh, an outline in your leaflet that will give you some idea where we're going. I want to reflect with you for a moment on and why this birth is so miraculous. Uh, some of this will, will be reminding you what we covered last week. Back in Genesis chapter 11, uh, verses 29 to 30, we're being told the genealogy of Abraham's family, that is his family tree. And at that point, we're told that Sarah, or Sarai, she's called there, uh, that's his wife, she was barren and she had no children. When you get to Genesis chapter 12, immediately following, Abraham is told that he will be the, the head of a great nation. He will have offspring that will inherit the land. And so you have this promise uh, in Genesis 12, but this problem in Genesis 11. Sarah cannot have children. Abraham, you'll be the father of great nations. <laughs> How does this get resolved is the question. When we get to chapter 15 verses and the early verses of, of that chapter, uh, Abraham comes before God, and we're talking about some time after the promise has been made, years, and says, God, I am childless, in case you haven't been noticing. I haven't got any children. You said I would, and I don't. And God says to him at that point, your own son, he will be your heir. When we get to Genesis chapter 16, uh, Sarah and Abraham are at a point where they're saying, man, this is just not going to happen. God was obviously thinking we should take the initiative. Right? And so what Sarah does is she says to Abraham, her husband, take Hagar, my sort of servant girl, and uh, have relations with her and produce a child through her. We'll get a sort of a, a half child of this relationship and that will be the way in which we will propagate and build the nations. So Sarah arranges for that to happen. But this is, this is a human solution to the problem and it is clearly not what God intends should be the case. And then when we get to chapter 17, uh, the section that we're looking at today... God gets extraordinarily specific and he even names the name of the son that Abraham and Sarah will have before he is born. This will be his name, Isaac. Well, it's a, it's a chapter you would have picked up where there's a lot of, a lot of laughter that's going on. Uh, so you get to chapter 17, verse 15. 
Uh, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are to no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I'll bless her and surely give you a son by her. I'll bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Uh, Just like Abram's name is changed from Abram to Abraham, and the idea is, you know, uh, father to prolific father, you know, Abram to, you know, father of lots and lots and lots of kids, right? You can just imagine him, you know, in his 90s going down to the pub and saying to the guys, you know, and they say, Abram, good to see you. He says, no, no, it's Abraham. (laughs) And, you know, the whole bar goes, you know, this is the guy who doesn't have any kids, you know. Father of great nation, I've changed my name to Abraham, Deepol, in my 90s, you know. Like, it's, it's just a joke, really. And it's the same when you come to Sarah, right? She changed, her name is changed by God from Sarai, which means princess, to Sarah, which means mother of kings, right? That's the way in which God... God is very clear, and he's not giving any squiggle room here. Uh, and Abraham struggles with the idea. You get to verse 17. Abraham fell face down... And he laughed. Now, literally what it's saying is he fell about laughing. Okay, that, that's exactly what is going on here. God, you have an extraordinarily good sense of humour. And then he goes on. He says to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? This seems like a reasonable reflection to me. I want you to imagine, I think Prince Philip has just gone out of hospital uh, this, this last week. He's 96, is he? Something like that. He's not young. Uh, he had another infection back in the hospital. The Queen just celebrated her, was it her 91st birthday? Is that right? Or 92nd? She's in her 90s. She's, you know, doing pretty well, right? Imagine headline news tomorrow, right? Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip are to have a baby, right? You'd sort of think... Right? You know, like, this is just not going to happen. No, have you seen pictures of them lately? They're not looking that sprightly, right? It really it defies imagination at every level. And so it's not surprising Abraham goes, God, if you're planning to answer this prayer, why didn't you do it when I was a bit younger? You know, when I could actually have children rather than when I can't. But of course, that's the point, really. This is never going to be something achieved through human effort. This will be achieved by the hand of God. But Abraham gives it a bit of a try. He says, look, God, you've probably worked out that I'm almost dead, right? You know, like, just just in case you hadn't worked it out, right? Let me give you an alternative plan. Have you ever done this with God? You know, when you're wanting him to do something, you not only put the prayer request to him, but you provide him with a step-by-step detailed plan of how he can answer the prayer? You ever done that? I do that all the time. Uh, Abraham's sort of getting into that sort of mode. Verse 18, this is his God, let's get real plan. We've had the joke, now let's get serious. That's where we're up to. He says, if only Ishmael might have your blessing. Now remember Ishmael, uh, back in chapter 16, he is the child of Abraham and Hagar, right, the servant woman of Sarah. So he has this child, and God says, yes, but Sarah, your wife, she'll bear you a son, and you'll call him Isaac. So he just brings it back, God, and says, no, 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 it's going to be this way. 
I'll establish my covenant with him, this child, as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So you get this sort of debate thing happening between Abraham and God, and God tends to win these, you know, and uh, that's exactly what's going on here. Abraham gives another shot, gives another shot, but God says, let me just get really specific with you. Sarah will have the son. This is going to be his name. And you know the promise I made back to you in Genesis chapter 12? It will be fulfilled through him. That just finds it all down. And Abraham, you might laugh, but you'll have a son, and his name will be Isaac, Yitzhak, which means laughter. (laughs) That's what Isaac means, laughter. God says, I will have the last laugh, and you will have a son. And so Abraham, he obeys. This is 23 to 27. And we read about the household, all the males being circumcised. And this is the act of faithfulness to God, the act of belief in his promise. And then we get to chapter 18. And Sarah has her own opportunity to laugh. So there are guests from God that arrive, uh, sent by God, and they speak to Abraham. Verse 10. This time next year, they say, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Verse 11, we're reminded Sarah was past the age of childbearing, just in case anyone was in doubt at this point. And verse 12, we're told Sarah laughs to herself as she thought, this is very, this is very earthy, right? As she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I have this pleasure? You know? And then you get this telling question, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, we're told that Isaac, Yitzhak, is born. Laughter is born. The Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. That's Genesis 21, verse 1. Notice how it goes. The Lord was gracious to Sarah, just like he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And it's just underlining, 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 underlining. This is God's activity, the miraculous. He has brought it about. Done. So I want to think with you for a few moments about the implications, the application uh, from this passage. Is is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything too hard for the Lord? What we discover here is a real insight in both the, the sovereignty of God's power and his love. Both are demonstrated here. God has absolute authority in this world. He created it by his word. He sustains it. The sun rises each day. I know on the hills sometimes you never see it, but it does, right? Each day it rises by the word of the Lord, and each day it sets. Every breath you take is by the hand of God. Every heartbeat that happens is because of the finely crafted machine that God has placed in your chest to keep your blood pumping around your body 
and into your brain so that you live. God causes it to be so. When you read through from Genesis chapter 11 through to this point in the story of Abraham and Sarah, what you have so clearly is that Abraham and Sarah are completely, totally powerless to achieve anything. And as time goes on, that just gets underscored, doesn't it? Because every year that passes, every year that passes, makes this promise that God has made, humanly speaking, more impossible to achieve. And when you get to a guy who's close to 100 and a wife who's close to 90, you're pretty confident that, humanly speaking, you know, even if you had IVF, this is not going to happen. You know? <laughs> right? This is just not achievable. That is the point. This will only occur by the sovereign power of God's hand. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, if Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip can have a baby, do you know what I mean? Like they can't. Nothing. If God can give Abraham and Sarah a baby, then God is never short on power. That's the point. But God also has extraordinary compassion and love. And the birth of Isaac, in a narrow sense, is a sign of that compassion. Verse 16 of chapter 17 says this, I will bless Sarah and surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Now, Blessing, it's, it's a really religious word. We normally associate it these days just, just with sneezing. Uh, that's the way in which we think. We don't use it much. But the idea is to receive good from God's hand, uh, to receive benefit from him. And Abraham and Sarah, they are blessed. God's love and power combine to deliver to them this child of their marriage. But I just want to go back to that question I started with. What, what about us today? Does God still act in this sort of day, in this age? I mean, surely it's the same God. A God who is still loving and still powerful. And while our questions might be a little more sophisticated than my son David's, we still have questions and issues that we grapple with day by day. Challenges and heartaches, pain, hopes, dreams. And as we call out to God, what can we be certain about as we put our request to him? Sue and I uh, have a niece who uh, was diagnosed with congenital heart problems when she was in the womb. And the doctors said that they, they didn't, weren't confident that she'd get through uh, to the point of birth. And if she did, they said the most likely outcome was that she wouldn't survive more than a few hours or a few days. And we prayed that she would survive. 
Now, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Let me tell you, though, the difference between Abraham and Sarah and Sue and I. There are quite a few differences, but (laughs) but let me tell you one clear difference, just as I talk about those two situations. Abraham and Sarah had this clearly articulated promise from God that they would have a child of their relationship, even at an advanced age. Clearly spoken and reaffirmed by God at numerous points. When it came to Sue and I praying for our niece, we had no specific promise from the Lord that she would be healed. Do you understand? We still had the same powerful God. We still had the same God who we knew was full of love and compassion and mercy. We just had no very particular promise that she would be spared and she would grow up and live a full life. Now, a couple of years ago, Sue and I had the great joy of going to New Zealand for this niece, Stephanie's, uh, wedding. Uh, God was very gracious in answering our prayers. Uh, She's completed her medical degree, and she's now practising as a doctor, no doubt because she felt most affinity with that profession, given she spent most of her life in hospitals, having various operations. God was gracious in answering our prayers. Let me rewind it for you. Let's say that Steph had died shortly after birth. Let's say that that had been the outcome. Now, that would have been heartbreaking for her family. It would have been heartbreaking for us, uh, feeling for her in that situation. But let me tell you one thing it wouldn't have been it would not have been an indication that God was less loving or powerful because she died. Do you understand? She would have been with the Lord and God would have fulfilled his plans and purposes for her. God is never short on either power or compassion. What we have here with Isaac and Abraham and Sarah, though, and you pick this up as you go through these chapters, is something much more profound that's at work. It's not just Abraham and Sarah and their struggle to have a child. Like when we pray, it's not just about me and my life and my issues and that God might answer them in the here and the now. Back in Genesis chapter 12... God says to Abraham, I will bless you, verse 2. Then he goes on in verse 3 and says, And you, Abraham, will be a blessing. And by you, all the families on earth will bless themselves. Now understand that, that Isaac is a little b blessing for Abraham and Sarah. Right? But Isaac is a big b blessing for the whole world. And that is part of God's plan in this situation. And the big miracle is that aspect of it. Not that that Isaac is born, but that through this child, 
God has a plan to provide extraordinary grace and mercy and blessing for the whole of humanity for the whole of time. I mean, isn't that just mind-boggling? See, how can anyone have a right relationship with God? Uh, Sin enters the world, but we all know that we're caught up in it. We all know that we destroy our relationship with God because of our sin. We all know that we don't deserve relationship with God because of who we are and how we've lived. Broken relationship that can't be mended. But through Isaac, God says, that is all going to change. I'm reversing it all. And almost 2,000 years later, God appears to another woman and makes a promise. This time her name is Mary. And God says to her, Luke chapter 1, verse 28, Greetings to you who are highly favoured, blessed. Greetings to you who are blessed. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child that you will bear. That child is a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of Isaac, a descendant of King David. That child is the one through whom forgiveness of sins and eternal and secure relationship with God is achieved. That child, his name is Jesus. See, friends, when, when we come uh, to the scriptures, when we come to this part of the Bible, what we discover is that God is both powerful and he is loving. Isaac is a, a micro example of this. But if you want to look for the huge outworking of this promise and the character of God, then what we discover in the unfolding message of the Bible, which is exciting, what we discover is that God calls people from all tribes, all nations, everywhere into a relationship with himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, is there any miracle that is greater than that. And there isn't. I remember sitting down with a a guy that I had the privilege of doing some Bible studies with. He'd been investigating Christianity for lots of years. And the trigger for him, actually getting serious about his walk with God, was when his marriage busted up. His wife left him. This guy was professionally very secure, very wealthy, very bright. Uh, But at that point, it was like God sent a rain shower on his house of sugar. And it just started melting before his very eyes. And it made him cry out to the Lord for mercy and forgiveness. God used that situation uh, to bring this guy into relationship with himself. And, and my friend, as he reflected back on that, was enormously thankful for God's mercy to him, even in all the circumstances of that situation. Two weeks ago, uh, you met together for your weekend in, and on the Saturday night, a number of people declared their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, at that moment, you were recalling and witnessing extraordinary miracles greater than anything else you can possibly witness as God 
brings people who are rebels against him into relationship with himself, and they stand and they declare that that is exactly what he's done. Do you understand? This is God's great blessing for the whole world. Is God sovereign and is he loving? Oh, absolutely. There is no doubt about that. Will it mean that he will answer our prayers exactly the way we ask for them to be answered over time? Well, when he's made very specific promises, yes. And when he hasn't, then he will answer according to both his sovereign power and his love, always. Can I say you need to be enormously self-aware as you pray? Uh, I speak to people quite often who uh, talk about uh, calling out to God and God has told them that he's going to do certain things or assured them that he will. You know, I've been praying for my friend who is dying of cancer, but I, I feel confident that God will heal them. But really when I probe and push, does anyone have a promise to that effect? It's just a desire, and it's a good desire, but there is no guaranteed promise. That's the difference between Abraham and Sarah at this point, and often our situations. Is God any less powerful or loving when you don't have a promise? And no, he's not. But friends, remember what God has promised? He has promised that he will use everything that comes across your bow, everything that enters into your life, to shape you more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a wonderful promise. But when you're going through uh, the storms and the trials and the battles and you can't see which way is up, when you're in those situations, let me say, that promise of, the Lord, of God so that he will shape you more like the Lord Jesus, that's actually hard to believe. Hard to grab hold of. But is anything too hard for the Lord? No, no, he has promised that he will shape you like the Lord Jesus Christ and bring, him to your, to, bring you to himself. And he will do that. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Let me pray first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, in your word this morning, we encounter such a human situation of uh, anguish and helplessness and hopelessness. And Father, we know that we feel that way often in our lives. We see your power and your love at work in one family. And yet, Father, as we step back and get the panoramic view, we see your hand at work through all humanity for all time. Father, we know that you are powerful and loving, and yet at the same time we're so aware that we don't always understand in the day-by-day stuff how that works itself out. Why? Uh, there are prayers that, that we feel it would be good for you to answer in the way we would like them answered. 
And Father, sometimes we'll work that out over time. Sometimes we'll have to wait until we are with you face to face before we appreciate that fully. And yet, Father, we pray that as we reflect on both your power and your goodness this morning and for all eternity through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and the Lord Jesus and the way your promises find their yes in a complete way in him, that because that is secured and tied away for us, we'll be confident in all things, even as we live in a fractured world, or even as we face opposition uh, for our following of you. So, Father, graciously go before us, shape us, change us, mould us, do make us like your son, and help us to confidently believe that that is what you're about, and because you promised it, you'll bring it to pass. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.